and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Zulor. If you've not heard the show before, welcome. Get ready to learn with us as we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors. We trace their origins and find how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. Today's guest is Sylvester Herman. He's the founder of Scotland's only Caribbean rum distillery, bringing more than 200 years of rum history and his own brand of Caribbean sunshine to the Scottish town of Dumbarton. Sylvester remains true to his descendants and uses the same tried and tested rum making processes they did. Today's show is that little bit extra special because in the Caribbean island of St. Lucia, the island is celebrating the Nobel Laureate Festival. Sir William Arthur Lewis, who won the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economics in 1979, and Sir Derek Alton Walcott, who won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1992. Part of the festival highlights those who are excellent in their fields, in the things that they do. And I met today's guest, Sylvester, at the St. Lucia High Commission in London recently and felt that he would be a great guest to celebrate the Nobel Laureate Festival with the theme Celebrating Excellence, Nurturing Our Creativity, Consolidating Our Legacy. And more information about the festival can be seen on the Nobel Laureate Facebook page, which is called Nobel Laureate Festival St. Lucia. But on to today's show. We're going to discuss the common phrase, if you rush it, you will ruin it. As someone who has been living in London for many years now, I am more familiar with rushing in every sense of the word. There is rush hour for one. And let me tell you, you will do everything in your power to avoid it, if at all possible. Especially if your chosen journey includes taking the tube. And uh, let's not talk about New York City. (laughs) Oh... Anyway, there are many scenarios in life where one might be in a rush and a variety of reasons for it. For today's episode, wherever you might find yourself at this moment, I want you to take a deep breath, sit back and allow yourself a little break. It's Monday morning. You're in your pre-wake state where the body is still and the breath deep and regular. Your mind is not yet troubled by busy thoughts and impending choices. All of a sudden, you hear a small, distant sound. It's slowly coming closer, endangering the perfect peace that covers you like a blanket. Suddenly, it pierces through the fog of sleep until you're awake. You're wide awake and you realize it's your alarm. You turn to your side and as you're about to tap snooze, you catch a glimpse of the letters on your phone screen. 8.15 a.m. Terror starts creeping up. As you enter your waking state, you remember that you need to leave for work in 15 minutes. How many of us have been in this situation before? You're not even fully awake yet. And already you seem to be in a rush, trying to chase the next thing that needs to get done. Your day has suddenly turned into one big 
to-do list and you hustle and bustle to the ticking of a clock. And while some things can be done in a rush, there are others that need focus and concentration. Applying eyeliner, answering your boss's email or finding your favorite jumper that must have accidentally fallen to the back of your closet. Rushing any of these things is really beneficial. In fact, if you rush it, you'll ruin it. The winged liner, your boss's high regard for you, the tidiness of your closet. Time is a funny thing. It's linear, and yet it seems so relative at times. When we long to be with someone and we count the days until we see them again, it can seem as though time is almost standing still. Suddenly, we want to rush it. We want the hand of the clock to move faster, and the faster we want it to move, the more it appears to slow down. At the start of a romantic relationship, you often can't get enough time with the other person. In your head, you might be planning the next date, the next trip, or even the next holiday. Everything is exciting and new. Then there are your friends and family who mean well and tell you not to move too fast, not to rush things. Through the lens of your rose-colored glasses, they seem like the irrational ones, the melodramatic ones. However, sometimes it may not be such a bad idea to take off the pink glasses for a moment. As the saying goes, love is blind. Sometimes it is wise to take a moment to evaluate, to see where things are going and possibly spot glitches in the relationship. This can be crucial as glitches can easily grow into bumps when left unattended. Rushing a relationship, especially in its early stages, can have destructive consequences in the long run. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, in our everyday lives, rushing seems to be an ever present issue. Yet, there are certain cultures where this problem doesn't seem to exist, where it is even made impossible to rush. Our scriptwriter Faye recently traveled to India to visit family. As someone who was born and raised in Germany, the idea of punctuality and a rigid structure of time has been ingrained into every fiber of her being. Indians, however, have a totally different understanding of the concept of time. And I know Caribbean people know what I'm talking about. One of her friends jokingly refers to it as rubber time. We call it what? Oh, soon come? <laughs> Whether you have an appointment or a meeting friends, the arranged time will most likely not be kept. In fact, it is usual for plans to be pushed back by several hours or for them to be cancelled or changed. Trying to stick to her rigid idea of time and punctuality has only frustrated her and soon made her realize that the most efficient way to get anything done is to adapt, to slow down, to be and let be, finding a new rhythm and a sense of ease she hadn't known before.
Indian markets are a world of their own, crowded with people, rickshaws, scooters, cows, dogs. There are rows upon rows of stalls and little shops which sell anything you can think of, from jewellery to decorations to clothing and homeware. The smells of Indian street food, smoke, dung and dust fill the air and your ears are bombarded with an orchestra of honking, shouting, singing, laughing and barking. As you make your way through the masses, you experience an overflow of impressions on the senses. One crucial skill you need to possess in order to survive in an Indian market is the skill of bargaining. As a rule of thumb, it is said that you should never pay more than 25% of the initially offered price. Merchants will read you like a book and try to sell you anything at the maximum price possible. They can spot a tourist from a mile away. But even as a local, bargaining is a sport. It requires time and patience and it is almost like a competition of who has more endurance. Remember that uh, TV show Endurance? Now, wasn't that something? Although that wasn't India, was it? Anyway, rushing a buy on a market will cost you as you will literally be paying at least four times of the item's worth. I'm excited to welcome our guest, Sylvester Herman, founder of the rum distillery Island Slice. Sylvester moved to New York at the age of 19 and enlisted in the U.S. Department of Defense. In 2007, he joined the British Army and six years later moved to Scotland. Unable to find a rum that tasted authentically Caribbean, the fourth generation St. Lucian rum distiller decided to follow in the family footsteps and create his own. Sebastian, can you tell me how your chosen metaphor, if you rush it, you ruin it, how does it resonate for you? It's something um, growing up um, in St. Lucia, my dad, my, my dad would always say. So it's kind of deeply ingrained in me that if you rush anything, there's nothing but failure at the end. And the way you rush things could cause failure at the end in terms of, you don't have no, you, it's okay to rush, but you need to know when to pause and take a breath and look behind and make sure that somebody's not coming behind you or something. It's just look both ways, take your time, be one with the earth, move forward in time with the earth. There's no reason to rush or you rush to your death. At some point in your explanation, it reminds me of um, when you're learning to drive. People always say it's not just about looking forward, it's behind the people behind you, the people at the side of you, you have to be aware of everything that's going on around you. Can you remember how young you were when your dad said that to you? I was maybe about, the youngest I could remember is about maybe about nine, ten years old. Because, yeah, I didn't really, as a, as a young, young boy, I didn't grow up with my dad. I only moved to live with him about when I was nine years old. But can you think of a particular story where it has really come to play? The words that your dad has said, it's affected you or some, somehow. And you think, yep, I was warned about this. A simple example, like um, right now I run Island Slice Limited, um, a rum company in Scotland in the middle of Scotch country. I could have gone in, get the millions behind it and just rush it and build and build and build. However, what I did, I, I stayed back. I bid my time, bite my time and I... I analyzed the market and I analyzed what's going on. I saw what other rum companies came and do after me, how they failed, how they um, did not work with the local, they did not take time to work with the local um, council to get things done properly. So they came, they went and they disappeared. And I am still the oldest rum company in Scotland. 
people have come and go. And it's literally just because I took my time to analyze who's going to like my product, who is going to be the ones to step on my toe if you, if you say it um, in a nice way or stab me in the back or get, get me in trouble. And when to make that move, when, when it gave me the right time or when, you need to, when I need to make that move. Every move that I've made in terms of investors coming on board, investors leaving, it was all taken in due time. Um, people came and said, yeah, you, you're moving slow. Why, why is this company just launched and they're already making this amount billion? Three months later, that company disappeared. It was just one of these. It, this is a, the, the most recent part of my life that it had affected. It had affected back in the military also in terms of um, if we're going in. I was an infantryman in, in the British military. If we're going into an attack, we do the attack in a nice steady pace but we always secure our back, take time to slow down and secure our back to make sure the enemy do not come in and attack us from behind or enclose us. It's been ingrained in me by my father. However, the military hammer it down that, yes, rush, get it done, but however, take time to slow down and look around and see what's happening. So how did you get from St. Lucia to Scotland? Oh, this is a long story. St. Lucia, yeah. Um, after I graduated high school in St. Lucia, I moved with, to live with family in New York. Which school did you go to in St. Lucia? Beaufort Secondary. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Year of 2000, graduates. Yeah, I do it Darren Sermi. I'm, I'm name dropping now. Darren Sermi, Lyndon <laughs> Stevens. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Darren will just laugh when he hears it. <laughs> yeah, I know he will. He's just, yeah. Graduate 2000. I moved to New York. There was not really much. I found New York quite hard, actually. New York was quite difficult for me. While I was in New York, 9-11 happened. Everybody was being patriotic, including a girlfriend I had. Everybody was, everybody was joined the military. Everybody wanted to do something for the country. Also in New York, I, I know it's, I say it's a long story. It's because I make it a long story. In New York, what I also um, experience is a different level of racism in terms of not white and black, but black and black, a black American, because my accent, as you could tell, I've, I've been away from St. Lucia since the year 2000, and I still have some type of twang. Black Americans, because of what happened, if you had an accent, they were looking at you like, oh, you're not from here. Are you going to be one of these guys? That happened. I, I felt really uncomfortable. And it was a tough time. I was literally just hand to mouth trying to survive. Everybody was joining the military. Um, I didn't do the same. My girlfriend at that time did join the military and she was going to get based in Germany. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll come with you. I'll do this. I did everything she did. And I found myself based in Germany, in Rammstein, Germany. After our time in Germany was done, it was I was supposed to go back to America or choose a different place. I did not want to go back to America. It was not happening so i decided to go to london literally just to com- decompress for two weeks so it's supposed to be only two weeks just decompress make a decision on what i'm supposed to do and if i'm going back to america if i'm going to st lucia what am i doing how am i gonna do it and um whilst in london trafalgar square to be exact that's my very first time ever been in london i've never been in london before and i was in trafalgar square and there's a recruiting office right on the corner and i walked into it i was like oh let's just try this I walked into it and they, basically they were like, yeah, you're American military, we cannot do it. But however, you have an accent. What passport do you have? I was like, St. Lucian. They're like, oh, okay, we could use that. And then there yeah, I joined the British Army. Joined the British Army. Literally, I signed, I didn't like the test and everything there. I got, I went back to Germany. That was in November in March of the 2007, March of 2008. I was in Catrick doing my basic training to join the military. And by December of that same year, 2008, I was in Iraq serving as a military personnel. I did Iraq, Afghanistan, all that. And my last stop of Afghanistan, I was like, you know, 
I'm not pushing my luck. Now it's time for me to just walk out. But I, I had, we went to a lad's holiday in Crete. I like to say Crete, but it's Malia. Yeah. <laughs> I like to call it Crete because it's more posh. I met a girl, a Scottish girl, and I was, I gave her the, I was like, yeah, I'm leaving the military. I don't know what I'm doing. If I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. And I said, in six years, I'm moving, I'm leaving the military. And she accelerated that. I like meeting people who could accelerate my plans. Um, she accelerated that to like three years, less than three years. And I was out of the military. I moved to Scotland, got married. Now I've got two kids over here. Um, it's, I'm in Scotland, um, literally as a total stranger. It was one of the, one of the better places I've been. Wow, uh, Scotland is one of the most beautiful places in England to be in. But you also took advantage by creating your distillery. How did that come along? I, I moved to Scotland in 2014, I think it was. I was a, I joined the police. I was a police officer in Scotland. And uh, November of 2015, my dad passed away in St. Lucia. And I remember I did not go to the, the funeral, not because I couldn't, but because I didn't. And because I treated it like every other military personnel in my life that's passed away, that I've been to so many funerals. I was an infantryman, so a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals, and it's, all of them is painful. And I was like, you know what, I'm not having any more. But I treated it like a military personnel funeral. Did you ever regret that decision? Painful. The worst decision, I think. I'm, I, my, my, my mantra is no regrets. That's the most regret I've had in my life. It was it hurt. It hurt a lot. To this day, it's, and I'm talking about it, I get really emotional. It, I could feel it again. The worst decision I've made in my life to the point that the day after, the day after his funeral, I was already thinking of how do I pay homage to my, my father? What do I do to represent him? What do I do? And that's how Island Slice was born in the end of 2015. Just me, just thinking what we do. And all, I, all that came to my head is rum. He owned a, a cab away in St. Lucia, a rum shop. All I was thinking was just rum. And there's no good rum here. That's the only thing my dad, my dad was like that. He was freaking love that I'm bringing his stuff foreign to overseas. By the January of the 2016, I had the first registered rum company in Scotland and I just snowballed from there. I started making rum. I, I became a distiller in the middle of, of, of Scotch country. In fact, the point in Dumbarton, Dumbarton used to be the, the biggest whiskey distilling area in the whole of the UK. And now I'm the only distillery based in there. I'm the only distillery and I do solely rum. I'm the only rum distillery within the whole area of um, West Dumbartonshire all the way down to Glasgow and up into the highlands. Why did that happen? How could you be the only one? Yeah, well, most people think, most people thinking like, yeah, I'm only a small guy and so, so forth. Well, the whiskey, this, I normally tell them, yeah, um, well, rum turns up, whiskey ran away. That's not what happened. The, the, um, it's just the the industry in Dumbarton kind of went down. The distilleries moved where they could run a bigger operation away from certain things. Dumbarton is a little bit, a little bit shaky when it comes to running a distillery. You have to go through the, the console that they put you through quite a bit. So most of them moved away where it's less hassle. However, it started with the River Clyde in Dumbarton and it ends with the River Clyde in Dumbarton because Dumbarton for me is where the boats were built. The boats that went to Carib to the Africa and get the slaves and bring them to Caribbean and then go up, bring it, bring back the goods from the Caribbean up the Clyde for the goods to be enjoyed. The goods were not enjoyed by the people in Dumbarton. However, it was enjoyed by them, don't get me wrong, but the city that it bypassed Dumbarton and they built a new city called Glasgow just down the river on the River Clyde. So Dumbarton is now the poorest council estate in Scotland. And it's, it's due to they did not capitalize on what they create. 
they created whiskey, they created the, they were the, they were the biggest boat builders in the world building the boats. Like I said, I went and get slaves. Um, that's one of the things the boats did. The boats went and get trade from India, it went and get trade from America. It went, it did, it, that was this, what these boats, these boats were sold all over the world. But however, um, the reason I, I'm, I, I'm so strong with Dumbarton on the River Clyde, because it started on the River Clyde, I would like it to end on the River Clyde in terms of my history. I am from St. Lucia. I'm a direct descendant of a slave. I was not brought there to live a high life. My ancestors did not live a high life in, in St. Lucia. So hence the reason why I, I like the idea that I'm in Dumbarton. I'm the only one and I'm doing just rum as a distillery. I'm so glad to hear that. So what types of rums do you produce? We produce from scratch with molasses. Um, so we start with our white rum. We produce our white rum, similar like what my dad used to do, a little bit of tobacco twee. So we got the white rum. And then from that, we get our our spice rum. So I add spices. The spices actually is not, nothing to do with the Caribbean or Scotland. While I was serving in Afghanistan, I used to drink a lot of masala chai with the locals. And masala chai always reminded me of the way we drink, we, we enjoy rum the Caribbean conversation before dinner, during dinner, like just a conversation drink. And when I picked up the masala chai, I asked them, What's, what tea is that? They gave me it. I picked up, I smelt it. And it was, all I thought was like, oh, all I need is rum. That needs rum. As I came back, I created, the, I added rum to it. And that's how I created masala chai tea since 2012, end of 2012. And masala chai tea was born. It hasn't changed. That's a masala chai. That's my spice rum. And I do a scotch bonnet rum which is the, the youngest one in my whole line of um, things. So it's Scotch Bonnet. We try and celebrate the fruitiness of the Scotch Bonnet. Everybody knows Scotch Bonnet as a spice, but nobody knows Scotch Bonnet as a fruit. So we try and celebrate the fruitiness of the Scotch Bonnet. It is a little bit hot at the end, but we try and get the sweetness. And I'm working alongside another St. Lucian to create that. We created that together. That's Scotch Bonnet. And then we have a dark age rum. How long did it take you to get it off the ground? Because it's a very difficult business to get into. And of course, you've got to seek funding. You've got to support your funders that you know what you're doing. Was that difficult for you? Well, I'll say no. The reason why is because I didn't seek funding. I used whatever was in my pocket. I did not go for funding. Um, to this date, I haven't gone for funding. I have done this with what I've got. I don't, there is no, no debt or anything to the company because what I did was I was building something in homage to my dad. I don't want nobody to come in and put their 50 cent in. I wanted to be like this. And when it becomes that name that everybody knows about, then I will accept the, the funding and so on. So forth. But uh, until then, we have to celebrate my dad. It's years, it's my years of mourning I'm going through. This is the hardship I'm going through is my my morning that's what i'm going through that it's been all these years and i'm going through it that's it takes a lot of hard work to get this done it takes and i will do it i will do what it takes to get it there no matter what that without anybody else involvement and it's part of my morning um the, my procedure I, that's how i i'm taking so it's a, it helps me psychologically that's how i yeah. should say would you say that your rums are Small batch at the moment, then medium batch. Because <laughs> okay. I've pumped a lot of money behind it, yeah, and uh, all the money has recirculated into it, so it's not as small. However, mm-hmm. it's on the um, I'm 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 the I'm a rum distiller. I, I want a rum distillery that produces rum for other brands. That's smart. That's a very smart move. Eighty percent of what I produce is for other other rum brands out there. I take care of HMRC paperwork for everyone. I take care of um, the process, the procedures, and I just tell them, handle your marketing and your bottle design, and I will handle the liquid and HMRC. And um, they go out there often and they stay also. 
And how do you distribute your own drums? Um, it's available on my website, islandslice.co.uk. And mostly I like I like dealing with the small bottle shop because it reminds me of my father's Kabawe. So I like dealing with the small bottle shops and the family-run shops. So I have almost all the Scottish small bottle shops locked down basically with my rum. They have my rum selling. I, like I say, I don't release a lot of my rums. Also, I have rum sitting in barrels to be um, released. And when they're released, also it would only be a limited amount released. Have you got plans to release it in St. Lucia? Um, I'm hoping I, as soon as I get everything um, nice and settled there, which is within the next 18 months, everything should be nice and settled. And like I say, it should be the point where I feel like investors should come on board in 18 months' time. The next point is to either release it in St. Lucia or do the same in St. Lucia. Um, get my dad's distillery up and running in St. Lucia, all registered and everything, because he was he never had a chance to be legal. And no doubt that if he tried, it would have been a difficult uh, mission for him to become legal in St. Lucia. Sylvester. Of course, you come from an island who is proud to say that they're the only island in the world that has two Nobel laureates, Sir Arthur Lewis and Sir Derek Walcott. Have those two Nobel laureates done anything special for you, their achievements? Kind of rubbed off on you in any way? Yeah, yes, definitely. Um, growing up in St. Lucia, at that point, I didn't know we were the, the only island with the most Nobel laureates per capita. But growing up in St. Lucia, it, you were learning about it, you were hearing about it, you, we were proud. We were proud of any achievement our St. Lucians would bring home. It's, we are a proud country, we love everything. What that does as a proud person, we are not national nationalists or anything, we just love our country and we love everybody who makes this country and the name of the country grow, make the country grow make the country good we are very proud people and um, when when we were be, being taught about uh, Derek, Sir Derek Walcott and Sir Arthur Lewis it was always a thing of pride a thing of let's drive together let's move forward together if he could do it why can't you do it as a, as a kid in school it was like he's a Nobel laureate I want to have that mountain they called Mount Everest that's what I want <laughs> I want to go get that I'm taking it if he could take it, I will. If he taking this, I will take a little bit more. It, it inspired me to push beyond what what I what I think was possible. You know, as you were saying that, I remembered coming from the UK because I was born in the UK and then I went to St. Lucia in the seventies, and I didn't fully understand what it meant when people said Nobel laureate. You know, I was I was about eleven, twelve, something like that. I didn't I didn't truly appreciate what it meant, but I did start to appreciate it when my children graduated from kindergarten. And I couldn't believe that St. Lucia was doing graduation for their children because we didn't have that in England. The UK, yeah. And when they had their graduation, they mentioned the Nobel laureates. There were pictures of the Nobel laureates. And it's such a nice beginning. To an education. And to inspire you to achieve the world. Because yeah. these are people who have gone out there and said, we could be the best. We could get this. Yes. And, and at the times, um, Sir Derek was still alive. So it wasn't like someone, you know, they've both passed and so what. It yeah. was, wow, we still have a living Nobel laureate. And like you say, it was an element of pride and it just, it does motivate you yes. to do your best. Yes. Because if they can do it, we can do it if we put our minds to it. Yes. And it's all about excellence in what you do. And everyone is different and everyone has areas where they're, they've got strengths and areas where they've got weaknesses. No one's perfect. Well, yeah, we're human. We're human. Yeah. Yeah. When you can understand what your talent is, 
and you can drive it as far as you can get it. That's excellence. And stay and just staying true to what it is and just going for it. And yes, it's it's beyond excellence. It's it's that that's a form of energy that we lack in this in the in this world, I'd say most people lack, but it is it is it is some it is something and also you know who said is when they're dead they honor them. But there, so Derek Walcott was still alive and we were honoring him, which is what made me even feel better because it was not somebody who passed away that we trying and say we honor this person. We were honoring him while he was alive for bringing St. Lucia forward and making things happen, you know, making mm-hmm. inspiring pe- young people like me. I bet you if you ask Darren Summit the same exact thing, I'm not talking for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because we were in class together and it was about, you know, people who inspired. Because the way that Darren Summit also does this thing is he's inspiring the youth to achieve, yes. to be great. And I look at him the same exact way. He's inspiring the youth to be great. That's why I like dropping his name as a St. Lucian because I yes. like what he's doing. And he created the Darren Sami Foundation. He's young and he's inspiring the youth. And that's where his area of excellence is. We need to honor him now, though. Um, We cannot wait to honor him, no matter what his flaws or his good or his bad. We need to honor and keep him as that because we need people like that to keep inspiring the youth. We cannot. Well, he, he has the Boss Edge's cricket ground named after him. So yeah. there's a big start. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Sylvester, thank you so much for being a guest with us. Please remind our listeners again where they can find your rum. We am islandslice.co.uk and on social media, I am islandslice.rum. Not spice, but slice, a slice of the islands. That's all we're giving, a slice of me, a slice of my history. So islandslice.rum on social media, islandslice.co.uk. Thank you so much and all the best. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Money makes the world go round, the world go round, the world go round. Money makes the world go round, it makes the world go round. A mark a yen, a buck or a pound, a mark a yen, a buck or a pound. It's all that makes the world go round, that clinking, clanking sound. Time is money, or so they say. But all the time in the world cannot buy you time. You cannot hold it, you can only live in it. Being in a rush, therefore, can lead to a sense of losing time. You can be so focused on the next thing you want to do, the next task to be completed, that you forget the time and sooner than you know it, hours, days, even years have passed. As a child, it was always curious to us how elderly people would talk about time. Oftentimes, you would hear them say things like, how time flies, or it seems just like yesterday I was holding you in my arms, and you could never relate to their sense of time. In fact, as a child, time had a whole other dimension for you. One year seemed like an eternity, and even an hour seemed like a very long time. Nowadays, in your adult life, you may be starting to understand what those older people were saying. Sometimes you might relate to a memory, and you're shocked by how many years have passed since then, even though in your mind it seems like it happened just yesterday. How can it be, you ask yourself, that your conception of time has changed so drastically? What has changed? Is it the way you live your life? Is there a certain childlike levity that we lose as we grow older and take on life's responsibilities? Is it a worry of not doing enough and not being enough? 
Or maybe it is merely a cultural issue and we are being raised to race for time, forgetting that life in itself is not a sprint to be won, but a marathon to be endured. Slowing down and committing to a deliberate process of creation that focuses our attention moment to moment, day to day, and year to year. Now, I know you're probably curious as to where the inspiration for this productivity breakthrough came from. You might be thinking of some of the great leadership gurus, Peter Drucker or Stephen Covey or perhaps even Tony Robbins, (laughs) but you'd be wrong. It came from the great philosopher, Chuck Norris. (laughs) Better than I thought. Texas, Texas Ranger. Now, in his book, The Secret Power Within, Norris shares a story about a sparring match he had with Bruce Lee. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with the martial arts, Bruce Lee was arguably the quicker of the two men. Uh, But he was really, really frustrated in his inability to block any of Norris's kicks. He just couldn't understand it, just couldn't get it. And with that, Norris offered the following insights. You're going too fast. Your timing is off. You need to slow it down. Slow down to go faster. How do we slow down then? Ralph Simon gives us five key steps in his TED Talk. The first exercise is to focus on our breathing. Many of us tend to breathe shallow, irregular breaths, especially when we are stressed. Focusing on taking slow breaths from the diaphragm helps us to clear our mind and be intentional. Another interesting point Ralph makes is that eating slower can help us in avoiding rushing through our day. How many of us actually take the time to sit and enjoy a meal? Aren't we always thinking about what we have planned afterwards or checking our phone for notifications? It might sound weird to eat slower, but when we think about it, it is not just healthier for the body, but allows us to take a moment in our day to come to a rest and to simply be present. We need to actively find space and time in our day to slow down. It starts with the way we get up in the morning. Those of us who have pets might have noticed that they never rush into their day. They don't even wake up stressed and in a hurry. They stretch, they yawn, and they slowly go about their business. We can take inspiration from them by simply allowing ourselves to wake up in our own time, given that we don't oversleep our alarm, of course. And here's another challenge Ralph gives. Drive slow, or rather, drive according to the speed limit. Rushing starts right there. This particular area of our lives is easily forgotten when thinking about rushing. It has become so normal to move at a fast pace, trying to get to our destination as fast as possible. Many of us go just above the speed limit or know where and how to avoid the speed cameras. But what if we just slow down a little? This simple change, according to Ralph, will change our whole posture and pace as we walk through our day. And I agree with that. I read a very long time ago that if you played slow tempo music as you drove, 
you're likely to drive slower. And of course, the opposite. If you listen to fast tempoed music, you're more likely to drive faster. And it works. It re- I've tried it and it works. And sometimes when I feel anxious or I feel like I'm going to be, I'm rushing because I'm, I'm late, I purposely put on slow music to kind of calm me down and to bring me down to that let me just drive a bit slower and maybe you haven't noticed it but next time you go out just notice the type of music that you're playing and how it correlates to the speed that you drive a final point made in Ralph's TED Talk is that staying away from technology is crucial when we want to slow down and be present. Most of us spend a lot of time on our devices daily. Time spent scrolling through other people's posts is unproductive and does not contribute anything to us or our lives, nor does it allow our brains to rest, being constantly triggered by stimuli and fed information. Technology is a good thing, but only as long as we do not become its product. There are many ancient scripts that speak of time and how we ought to relate to it. The Bible refers to it on many occasions. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 21. It goes on to mention seasons in life in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. If we don't recognize and accept the seasons, we could be rushing something and therefore destroying it before its time. An example is relationships, like we mentioned earlier. If we rush into it before we are ready, then whatever baggage we or the other person are carrying with us is brought into the relationship and might only bring harm to it. This may not always be the case, but sometimes it is important to overcome personal battles before being able to commit to a partner in a healthy relationship. On Faye's recent trip to India, she had henna done. Some of you might have seen this before. In Indian culture, women get their hands painted with a plant-based dye. The patterns drawn onto hands, arms and sometimes feet are intricate and ornate and each of them is unique. She had decided to get her hands painted with henna for Diwali. As she was sitting in the market and watching the lady who was applying the dye to her skin, she became mesmerized by the dedication and exactness with which she drew the designs onto her skin. Around them, there was a busy hustle and bustle, people passing from all sides while they were crouched on their little chairs facing each other. There was a fluidity to the lady's movement as she applied the dye, and not once did she seem rushed or impatient with completing the intricate drawings. It occurred to Faye then that for all the lady's skill and experience, if she rushed it, they would be flaws and smudges. If you rush it, you'll ruin it, is a timeless saying that can be applied to so many aspects of our lives, from the day-to-day, personal and professional, to the larger scale picture of a life well-lived. We all deal with rushing in different ways that are influenced by the way we were raised and the culture we know. Being aware of this is the first step in slowing down and leading a more mindful life. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. I hope you enjoyed it and that you learned something new. Thank you too to our guest, Sylvester Herman, for the wonderful stories he told us about his childhood and why he decided to carry on with his father's legacy. We'd love you to share the show with your friends and please feel free to leave a review on colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. If you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at metaphorically speaking.uk. Join us for another metaphor next week.